You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Whites. Greetings and welcome to the BH Photography Podcast. Today we are tremendously pleased to welcome photographer, filmmaker, painter, and artist Dwayne Michaels to our show. It's not an exaggeration to say that Dwayne has changed photography. Beginning in the late 1950s, generally self-taught, he introduced the concept and aspects of sequencing, of narrative, of personal reflection, and humor to his work, which continues to this day as a huge influence on many, just as he continues to work and experiment and try new mediums along the way. What may be less known about Dwayne is that he also worked as a commercial photographer, creating advertising images for Microsoft, Estee Lauder, Pampers, as well as portraits of artists and movie stars. He even produced album cover art for Carly Simon and the Police. He's also an original Canon Explorer of Light, which is something that not many people can say. It's a true pleasure to welcome Dwayne Michaels to our show. Mr. Michaels, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. In prep for the show, John asked what you'd like to talk about, and your answer was aging. So with that in mind, I want to start with a question about your childhood. You grew up in a working-class Catholic family outside Pittsburgh, and when you were old enough, you went over the wall, as you've been known to say, to come to New York to find venture, find someone special, and to follow your dreams. So the question is, when did you know you wanted something different than what was around you in Pittsburgh? Everything, yes, no, and then I did. I mean, <laughs> here's the thing. I, when I was 14, I read in the McKee Sport Daily News that you could go to Texas and work on the wheat crop, all in the crop, all the way from Texas to Canada to make a lot of money. So I could talk my mother. I conned my mother and dad letting me go with Jimmy Conley. We took a bus, and it was a huge disaster and uh, a great adventure and terrifying. And then at 17, I went to school in Colorado on a scholarship for four years. And I was always, you know, I had, I had an itch. And uh, it was always in my mind that I should uh, have adventures. And that's what I've always done, and I'm still doing to this day. Aha. Uh -huh. oh, oh, but I wanted to say is this. When we're born, we're born with two givens. One is my DNA said I would grow up to be 5'8", eventually, be bald by the time I was 30. I would have this weight that I would be gay. And, uh, you know, all, so those are givens. And then my social DNA said that I was born into a Catholic, working-class, Eastern European family. And, you know, most people, are. we all have these DNAs, but uh, most of us are defined by them. But uh, I redefine myself. And it's an option we have. Most people don't know they have that option. Hmm. When when did you realize you had the option? I don't know. It's intuitive. Uh, I, I, every time I think about that trip to Texas, it was amazing. We ended up in St. Louis in a uh, St. Louis bus station waiting for the next train to Little Rock bus. It was about 3 in the morning, and there were about a 1,000 roaches in the bus station. I had never seen a roach in my life. And, you know, they taste very good if you dip them into ketchup. <laughs> Just in case you need to know that. Okay. Um, I recently had a conversation with an artist friend of mine who I've known for decades, and he's a few years older than me, a few years younger than you, and he confided in me he's losing his creative juices. 
And even though he lives in a lifestyle in which he can throw himself into his work 110%, he's got nobody dependent on him. His fire is waning. He's deeply troubled by all us. Now, not all that long ago, three years ago, in fact, today, you lost a partner of over 50 years. John lost his mom just two weeks ago. I lost my mom back in April, followed a few weeks later by the unexpected loss of my oldest, dearest friend. And no doubt many of our listeners have experienced similar trauma in their own lives over the past half year. After going through a devastating loss, how do you maintain a framework in your life in which you can continue to see, to learn, and to continue to grow as an artist and an individual, even as people and familiar points of reference fade and vanish? Uh, it's very interesting because uh, I'm, I'm amazed myself. But what it is, when you're young, we talked earlier about, uh, a, about being young, uh, I set up certain habits, and those were habits. I always tell students that, when you graduate from a school, if you ask fewer questions than when you arrived at the school, you didn't get an education. So it's a matter of personal uh, appetites, personal curiosities. And I've always found, first of all, I never needed anybody to give me assignment. And I've developed a, a way of behaving. If I find something interesting, I throw myself entirely into it. And I'm still that way. Everything I do, I'm, right now I'm doing more work than I've ever done in my whole life. And it's all based on this kind of curiosity. And some people, the route is you have an initial idea and then the idea is success and it's innovative. And then it becomes establishment and then it becomes old hat. Well, that's the route. But I, I continue to constantly find something interesting and curious. Uh, and, I, and I do things in depth. I don't, I don't skim. A lot of work is skimming, but I really get very much involved. When I got first discovered Magritte's work in 1960, I, I got so deeply involved. I went there. I went to visit him. I photographed him. I did two books on him. I had a Magritte drawing. I had a Magritte print. I read every book I could find on Magritte, and I still do that. And uh, it's a very, uh, it's a basic print, but it, so if you don't develop these habits when you're young, uh, you run out of steam by the time you're 60 or even earlier, but uh, I'm, I'm full of gas. So there you are. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. So you, I mean, you kind of believe that the same habits and, and really even the same way of looking at things continues uh, with, with little change. Uh, yes. From from back then, yeah. Life, life, well, life is a series of habits, and we have yeah. our comfort zones. You know, we used to go to Mass every Sunday. We had lunch at my grandmother's every Sunday afternoon, blah, blah, blah. Visit. These are series of habits, and some of my relatives still do it. I mean, what's appropriate at 20 is not appropriate at 40. What's appropriate at 40 is not appropriate at 60 or 68. But people are still living in habits they set up when they were 20 or 40. Now they're 80. There's no wonder they're running out of steam and gas. It was, a, you know, it was a bad habit. They're good habits and bad habits. Yeah. I mean, do you think, I mean, was it necessary at some point back when you were 14 or 22 or, or at any time to kind of abandon entirely what you were taught as a child, even if it's still as close yeah. as what you're describing now? Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm an atheist now. I was, you know, I believed every lie of the Catholic Church ever told. You know, you know, the whole thing, heaven, hell, you get your package, you know, and flames and torches and shit like that. And then, uh, you know, you abandon it and uh, you will go on to something else. We're always becoming. People don't realize that. So the question is, who are we becoming? And how much of the person we become 
defines on our environment and what we're open to. Like the army defined me. Going to the army was a huge experience. I didn't choose it. I didn't want to go, but I did. And it was a learning experience. But, you know, I've always taken my options and I usually prefer doing what I, I'm uncomfortable in my comfort zone. People can only work in their comfort zone. Then they wonder why life passed them by. But sometimes realizing what our comfort zones are and trying to break that, that you know, that system and those cycles that we get into is, is not as easy as you no, know, it's very, said. It's, you know, people, it's all about habit, really is. And uh, people in bad marriages, you think, what are they doing together? You know, uh, they're a bad habit. And as unhappy as they are, they don't have the energy to break the habit. And changing it, unlearning. That's why I'm glad I never went to photo school. Schools have to teach you something. So what do they teach you? They teach you rules. That's what they do. And then unlearning is much more difficult. Well, I never learned I wasn't Ansel Adams or Diane Arbus. You know, I never, I never had to unlearn anything. No, it's interesting that you, you mentioned that because uh, I've been reading a book by Verlin Klinkenberg, uh, who's a, an amazing writer and uh, one of the editors in New York Times, and he talks about writing. And he wrote a whole book about the rules of writing, and most of it's about forgetting about everything you learned and throw it all in the garbage because you're poisoned at that point. And it's exactly, it's exactly what you're saying right now. It's a, it's a major principle that people don't know exists. Once they get into their comfort zone... And that's it. Like in photography, it's so easy because once somebody starts taking pictures of backyards in upstate New York, and then it's applauded, and then they just do more and more. And then 10 years later, they're still doing sub-developments in Arizona. You know, boo-hoo, get over it, you know. How much is is this, this kind of, I mean, this applause that you mentioned, I mean, isn't it kind of necessary for artists or anybody starting out to, to get you know, to get yes. that applause to help yes. them go forward. Yes, and, not and, even applause, and, and, just a pat on the shoulder. Yeah, no, you exactly. cannot recognition. Have a, you cannot have a drawer full of poems that nobody ever reads. You're going to run out of steam. But nobody is going to. You have to shake the tree. You know, everybody starts out coming to New York on the Greyhound bus and mm-hmm. not knowing where to stay. Funny story. I got the bus went down. Uh, 34th Street, where the bus station used to be, and there was the Sloan House YMCA. And I thought, where am I going to stay? So my dad always said, if you're in a strange town, always stay at the local YMCA for good Christian fellowship. Is he crazy? <laughs> I mean, I, whoa. Anyway, you, you, I, never mind. I won't go there. You never broke the news, did you? <laughs> I, 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 broke, I, I broke wind before I broke news with them. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. Well, did, yeah. did, did your parents come in and see your photo shows? Did they? Yeah. Were they involved yeah. in your artistic life? Yeah. Well, yeah. they would come and and they would turn my mm-hmm. little my little I wouldn't even call it an apartment my one room arrangement on Charles Street's four flight walk up, and uh, they would turn my little room into McKeesport. My dad would bring a number of six packs of Iron City Pilsner and back issues of the <laughs> Pittsburgh Post Gazette. And my mother would go in the kitchen and start making soup. <laughs> no. so and what's so unusual would, about all that? <laughs> yeah, and, I, and then I would take them to see an exhibit where all sorts of weird stuff was going on. And I'd say, well, what did you think? And my mother would say, well, that's nice. You know, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, huh. okay. Was there what ever a, a, an ability or someone in your family that you felt that, that you could connect with on this level? Or, or, no, or would it have no. something more to say? No, no. no. No, it all came no. from outside sources, I imagine. No, it all came. From, no, it came from inside of my head. Inside sources. Yeah. Everything's inside. The, the, mm-hmm. Everything's in your mind. The world's in your mind. It's in your well, head. That, that leads me to a question I had, which 
it may sound off, start off sounding a little bit weird, but do you like seeing? And, and I ask that as opposed to other senses, but also are there things that should not be seen? No, I see, but I, th- I think, therefore, I am. I'm all about the mind. It's about energy. It's about consciousness. It's about I'm a storyteller. I, uh, you know, when I was in high school, I was a news editor of the school paper and, uh, you know, writing stories. And I've always been into, uh, I say most photographers are newspaper reporters and I'm a short story writer. And up to now, it's the only option was to be a newspaper reporter, you know, but now I, I, I said, no, f- you know, fuck it. I'm not a newspaper. Well, why should I, I'm, I'm not going to be defined by them, you know. Here's a principle. You're either defined by the medium or you redefine the medium yourself. Most right, people right. are defined by the medium. I love that quote. Yeah. Um, is there something about the photo process, though, that, that you like? I mean, is no. there nothing? I mean, if you, if no, you I just like taking. It, no, no. I, what do you mean by pro- I like taking pictures. I, I really enjoy it. And uh, I'm not interested in cameras. I always learn the minimum you know, I learned on the job, and now I'm, I love digital. I really do, and that's why the, the the Canon's bringing out a new digital a new digital camera that I'm hoping they're going to let me use uh, to, because it's supposed to be hot stuff. But I say fuck film. I really love digital. And uh, by the way, funny. I know which cameras you're talking about. I used them earlier this week, and yes, you are going to be happy with them. <laughs> well, they, well, they let you use it. A guy who talks on a radio and makes everything upside down, a real photographer doesn't get to see one. I got who's is there a Mr. Cannon? I'm going to kick his ass when I see him. <laughs> By the way, it's spelled with a K. He changed it uh, to C just for the uh, branding thing. Um, yeah. If I could take a, a jump back to uh, you, we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, recognition, younger people, and, and oh, yeah. being recognized mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah. You are at the extreme opposite end of that right now. <clears throat> okay. You know, you have it all under your belt and you are still working and you're still doing, you're still creating and still investigating and you're still curious, which is absolutely wonderful. And it's promising to know that this is possible. Um, Now, so my question to you is, do you need to get feedback now uh, uh, on it? So this, it doesn't matter. If you're happy with what you do, that's good enough. I know what I'm doing. I don't need anybody to tell me I know what, what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. But the thing is this, when you start out, you're insecure you have no credentials. You yeah. don't know what door to put your foot in, you know, how to get anything published. I have no idea what's going on nowadays, but I know in my generation, <laughs> and you had to go around with a portfolio and, you know, and, and uh, yeah, it's exciting. I, the first time I had a, there was a magazine called Contemporary Photographer and I had a portfolio. I couldn't believe it, how that happened, you know, and then I, when I got in camera, wow, look at that, you know. But I never got over it. But then it's like the rich get rich and the poor get poor. Those that do, do more. And those who never get their ass in gear never do anything. And I don't know how that's why it works. That's all I know. Gotcha. While prepping for a show, I noted that like a number of notable photographers, some of whom have actually been on our show, you initially intended to be a graphic designer. And this little nugget didn't surprise me based on the fact that despite the casual snapshot quality of many of your photographs, they look just casual. Your sense of composition is impeccable. Is this second nature or, uh, or you, do you really ride the frame lines as you're shooting? No, no. I don't even know what you're talking about. I uh, think you I, I just made it up. It sounded good, I thought. Uh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, it's, <laughs> all right. No, uh, no, it's a matter of instincts. You know, uh, I have certain instincts, uh, but my instincts are not related to photography. You know, I'm a big reader. Uh, I, you know, I've done. I'm, I still read to this. I have many, many references. I'm, I'm of you know the early 20th century. My references are surrealism. My, you know, my references are William Blake. My references are Walt Whitman and Rambaud. You know, and uh, so I'm not defined by photography at all. I couldn't care less about Ansel Adams and all that stuff. Uh, the bottom line is that you have to stay open to new possibilities. For me, they, I love the doing. I love the making. I like, we're doing a new stuff now where we're putting stuff on the, it's very funny because Josiah has always said, you got to get on the internet and you got to do Facebook and Instagram. I said, no, why do I want to do that? And I'm, I do, I turn out something once a week, something new, and I absolutely love it. This is the future. And then I was just working with this young guy and uh, I did a book with him and uh, he, when I, he, he came by to see me and he was taking pictures of, uh, in the village where he lived, the facades of buildings, ho-hum. And I introduced him to Bonnard and Vuillard, the painters, and he already knew about uh, uh, Saul Leiter. And we've done, just done a book. He's photographed New York in a way you've never seen it before. Just when you thought nobody else could redefine New York. Uh, I re-photographed it. He did. They're brilliant. And uh, Can you tell us who it is? Yeah, his name is R.A. Moore. Uh, I call him Robespierre. And, uh, and the book is called uh, Hurry, Hurry, New York Now. I say hurry, hurry, because New York's always changing. Yeah. In, an, in another minute, it's gone. But this is, this is the future energy. This is it. Uh, photography, history, and photographers have to stop kissing old photographers' asses. They've got to get over Ansel Adams. They've got to get over Bresson. They've got to get over. They are not any of those people. Who, who the fuck are them? They are the trip. And only true, I'm an empiricist. The only true knowledge is direct experience. Nobody's baked an apple pie. You've baked an apple pie. Nobody's, it's direct experience. So stop photographing somebody else's life and start photographing your own. Mm-hmm. Did you get all that? I'm giving yeah. a quiz at the end of this conversation. Yeah, we got all that for sure. <laughs> all right. Let me ask you, you mentioned some some photographers, and I've also seen you speak uh, on Robert Frank, and I think you might not hold him in the same uh, Oh regard. No, Robert is, Frank's is, my – no, Robert Frank is it. He is the hero. Mm-hmm. He is the – Robert Frank and Cartier Brisson, they are the uh, Picasso and the Matisse of the photo world. Uh, okay. They are profound. They're one of a kind. They're originals. And people are still trying to uh, – copy them, to be like them. But they're not. These people were not born in Switzerland. They weren't born in Paris. They were, they were born like me in McKeesport, Pennsylvania, or in Ashtabule, Ohio, or someplace. So, so can I ask, jumping back, how do you, I mean, do you feel any need to kind of reconcile the, the two worlds that are clearly so important? I mean, one is the you know, McKeesport and, and Pittsburgh and your upbringing, and, and the other is kind of the, the rejection of that to some degree and, and the world you built for yourself. Is well, there go, a, no, Do they no, go happily I, hand in hand or not? No. I always say Pittsburgh is my spiritual home, but my real home is in New York. But everything I am, everything I came from, came from my background. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are born with wonderful hands. They're born in wealthy families. They have all the, you know, colleges paid for, all these different things. And other people get terrible hands. And it doesn't matter. It's how you play your hand. I got a bad hand. 
but I, you know, ended up uh, having a loaded deck. <laughs> no, no, really. So it doesn't, and there's no audience. Nobody gives a fuck about what you do. You have to have a give enough fuck to make it happen. And if you don't care, why should anybody else care? If you don't care enough, you know, I, th- I said to R.A. Moore, I said, you know, you got to get out there and do this. And if you don't care, then why should I care? Go do it. You know. Yeah. Well, maybe I can jump back a little bit here. 1958, you went on a holiday to the USSR and started taking pictures. Yeah. Well, it, um, yeah, I did. Why? So it was a hiding I mean, in the what, cold what war. Was the, what, yeah, that, that's, I guess, where I'm getting at with that. Yeah. What was the, the circumstance that brought you there? Or was well, it just one I, of those decisions well, you wanted no, to make? I, no, I always wanted to be a communist. And I look okay. good in red. And I used <laughs> to go a little mustache so I look like uh, Stalin. No, no, no. <laughs> it's the same principle that took me to... That took me to uh, Texas. It was the same instinct. I wanted an adventure. I was curious. I was working at Time Inc. doing graphic arts. I went to Parsons for a year and I dropped out with a lot of bullshit. And uh, I got a job making 50 bucks a week at a little design a dance magazine, although I couldn't care less about dance. I wanted to be in magazines and business and lit- writing somehow. And I got a job then. $50 a week was my job at dance and my rent was 50 a month. Great. And then I got a job at Time Inc. at promotion, doing promotion for Sports Illustrated and you know all those magazines, Fortune, and that was twice my salary, a hundred a week. That was twenty bucks a day. Do the math. And then while I was there, I found out you could go to Russia. We weren't even talking to the Russians. I thought, what a great idea! I'm going to go, but it cost a thousand bucks. I didn't have a thousand bucks, so I borrowed five hundred from my mother and dad, and I ate sandwiches for six months and saved up five hundred. I borrowed a camera, an Argus C3, and I wouldn't take a light meter because I was intimidated by a light meter. It meant that I was a photographer, and I didn't want that. Hmm. I'll give you my entire photo education. Save $200,000. <laughs> you, you put the thing on 16, and then you put the other thing on 500 when you're outside in the sun. When, there's, when, it's shadow, when the shadow, or in the shadows, uh, you put the thing, leave it on 16, but put it on 60, you go and hide, you go by the window, you put the thing on wide open at 30 or whatever it was. And then you put the thing on uh, 60 or if it's really dark, 30. And that was, and all my exposures were perfect. That was it. So I, no, but I. And where did you get that information from? You're talking about the Sunny 16 rule. Yeah, no, no, yeah. Is that what it is? So It's called the Sunny 16 Rules. Yeah, so who, I, who'd you learn that one from? A, f- a friend of mine, the same guy I borrowed the camera from. Okay. He told me. Good he said, <laughs> yeah, he gave me the camera and borrowed it. And then he said, this is what you do. And he said, buy Tri-X. And that was it. Yeah. And sunny I 16 Tri-X. Mm-hmm. It's called Sunny 16. I never sunny, heard of it's that. It's called the Sunny 16 Rule. Yes. You know, one of one your coincidence, when I was a little boy, my nickname was Sunny. Aha. <laughs> It's in the cards. Obviously, I couldn't help it. No, no, no. But I found out what I should be doing. You know, some people never like. Some people are selling shoes, but they should be writing poetry. And some people writing poetry, they should be selling shoes. You got to find your thing. I found my thing. Was there anybody at that point in your life who who you had feedback and and you said, you know what, this is interesting. This is good. Keep going. Yes, uh, I did. Yeah, yeah. Funniest thing happened when I got back from Russia. <laughs> I, I sent all my. On Bleecker Street, there was this little Italian guy who had a Photoshop. And I, I gave him all my, my rules of film to process. God knows what I was doing. And, uh, and then I bought a $15 enlarger. 
But I discovered in my kitchen that the floor was crooked and I had to like put books under one end because my anyway. And I had these terrible prints I made and they were like the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, they were all rolled up. <laughs> and one night I had a party. I never had a party, but you couldn't fit more than four people in my apartment. And somebody said, could I bring a friend? And a friend was a photographer named Danny Enton. And I guess he was bored. He was unravel- unrolling my pictures and said, these are good. He said, I have a studio. I never use it on weekends. I'll give you a key. So he, it had a big skylight, and I used to go over every weekend. But I was still using my sunny, sunny, what, sunny room. Sunny 16. <laughs> and then one day, somebody, yeah, got me a celebrity to photograph. His name was Robert Moore, Morris, Moore, I remember. He was on Broadway. The day he came to the studio, I uh, was a huge thunderstorm. And it was so black you could see. So I pushed the thing on 15, and I fucked up all the uh, exposures. And my friend Danny said, that's it. You know, you, 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 know you, you, you can't be a little bit pregnant. Either you're going to do this or not. So oh, he, he taught. So he was my guru information guru all right well everyone needs one right um maybe i can ask about uh death comes to an old lady from what i read that was your own grandmother yeah Mm -hmm. okay and And, and and when she got up she had a stroke she moved too fast she fell over she was dead that was eh? the decisive moment no i made that up (laughs) (laughs) it made a good story and and was that a choice specific for your grandmother or you just needed a model and family members and friends were I, I just needed, I, no, I just needed a model. I needed an old lady. Luckily for me, unluckily for her, she had Alzheimer's. So she could only get up very slowly, which was great because my idea was she died. She, she broke into her particles. It's like you could see, literally see her, her energy splintering into the air. It's about energy. And so when I did that one with my grandmother, energy flowing up back into the universe. I, I wanted to riff on that idea of energy real quickly. And do, When you're doing portraits, let's say, do you, do, does kind of finding this, uh, this animating energy in your subject or, or something between the two of you no. have anything to do with taking a good portrait? No, okay. no, no. If people, you know, I, I was very lucky. I got a wonderful assignment from Vogue. They would call up and say, listen, uh, let me think. I don't know who. Name a celebrity. Uh, all right. Kim Novak's in town. Said, yeah, girls. Kim Novak's in town, and she's staying at the plaza. She's free from three to four. Can you make it? And I'll say, yeah. So I, I would go to a, a hotel room and alone with Kim Novak to no avail. And, uh, <laughs> you know. I, I I never claimed to cap. I hate when people. Oh, you really ca- captured bullshit. I don't even own my what nonsense. And did it express anything? No. I went there and I had certain conditions. I had a space and light, and then I had the model. And I try to come up. Well, for example, when I went to photograph Warren Beatty the night before Bonnie and Clyde opened, he was staying at the Saint Regis. When I was in a room with him, the window was open. We ordered drinks. When the bartender, when the waiter bought you know, room service, bought the drinks, he opened the door, and the, there was a draft, and the curtain began to blow. So I said, "Sit under the curtain. Leave the door open." So I'm very good at picking up what I find there. I have. I did I capture anything? Do I know him? No, I don't know. How could I know? 
nonsense. Well, well you read the situation. I mean, yeah, yeah, that, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. But yeah. my instincts are very good, and I, yeah. from the very beginning, it's, it's they started in Russia. My instincts. <laughs> yeah. And what about? I mean, do you feel at all that you put it? I have a different personality or a different hat, as they say, when you shoot a commercial assignment. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. Jobs are jobs and they pay a lot of money. I love doing commercial work. I'm not a photo snob. I'm just as proud of my, my commercial work as I am of my private work. What I mean by that is that there are those photographers who are very successful commercially, but have never had one museum show. Then there are those museum photographers who are real snobs, about commercial work, but they couldn't make a nickel. Well, for example, I was early on when I was working and I was on location doing a job and this young girl woman comes up to me and says, who are you? Are you? And I said, yes, I am. She said, well, what are you doing here? I saw I'm making a living. She said, you know, and she, she looked at me and she really said, oh, I would never sell out. I want to say, honey, you have nothing to sell. All these people that were going to sell, they have nothing to sell. She couldn't exist for five seconds in a commercial world. So any artistic person who is, looks down on commercial photography, get over it. Yeah. Yeah. I love Thank my commercial you, by the work. Way. Thank you for saying that. I felt <laughs> that for a long time. No, it's absolutely uh, true. I, yeah. I, I'm just saying I'm proud of my work. Yeah. Yeah. Something and, I wanted and, to uh, touch on, if I may, um, you, you mentioned that you're loving digital. You, you, you're relatively new to digital. You did not jump over when everybody else did, from, if I'm not mistaken. No, you no. were shooting film till recently, yes or no? Well, not recently. Well, just, uh, mm-hmm. when did I start? Uh, when did we, when did we buy our digital? digital, digital, digital oh, five years ago. When? Five. Five years ago. And that's because... Okay. You know, it's all because of Joe. I blame everything on Josiah, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, but, you know, he's the one who brought me into the new age. But it's so amazingly wonderful to work with a digital camera. Specifically, oh what? You, you mentioned that, that it gets you. Oh. What, 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 what are the things that get you compared to the way you shot for decades with film? Yeah. What, what gets you juiced about digital? What is it? Oh, it's so much easier. My God, we take pictures in terrible light. I often worked in terrible light. You have to set up a, do a time exposure, blah, blah, blah. You never saw what you were getting, your hope, blah, blah, blah. You know, you didn't see it till later. And oh, fuck that. I mean, I love instantly seeing something. Uh, uh, I really do. And I use a, ca- a Canon, what's it called? 5D. 5D. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. You know what that is? Yeah, 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 sure. I don't know what yep. it is, but it's a 5D. <laughs> do I hear 60? Uh, we have 60. Do I hear 70? Uh, actually, my, I'm in my 80s myself, actually. But anyway, no, I, it's just I can make a correction on the spot. We can correct the color. Oh, for Christ's sake, what are we talking about? Yeah. yeah, no, I, I I'm on board. I hear you. I, I I still love film, but yeah, the advantages of digital to me and what no. what's possible uh, and what you could now no. do is is huge. Okay, I I I didn't love film. I like film. It, it worked. That's the only game in town. That was you it. Know? No choice. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I. I'm amazed with what I got away with, considering how Did little you, I knew about it. I mean, what about this whole idea that people often hear, you know, people express, oh, the first time I went into the dark room, it was like magic and, and the image came up. Are you, do you have any relationship I printed for years and then I finally yeah. realized I could find somebody who could print at least as good as I could 
I didn't have to go in that fucking dark room and spend all those hours. I'd spend, I'd be up all night and then I'd show Fred, I'd like put six prints on the wall. And I say, see the difference? He said, no. No. I said, well, <laughs> you don't say that. No. We see that corner. Yeah. We see how that's burning. No. Oh, okay. You know, hmm. no, who needs it? <laughs> I, there are a lot of people in the oldie photography, which is not, you know, the olden days who, did I remember this one thing? I saw this ridiculous program about Ansel Adams on I forget NBC. I don't know where it was, and everything. And they sh- then they took you into his dark room and they showed you his trays and they showed you all this as if that was the magic was in the dark room. And then they showed you his car and how he made a a stand on the roof of his car and how he would go out at four in the morning to this uh, Yosemite and sit there. So that when the sun peaked up at six, he was set to go asshole, go there at five in the morning, go there at five thirty. What are you doing there? You know what time the sun comes up? This whole mystique about the act of taking the picture. And what are we talking about? You know, mm-hmm. anyway. Well, do you get pleasure out of it? I mean, do you enjoy when you're when you're creating the photos, when you're telling the yeah, model to stand yeah. there? And, and yeah, of course. I, ple- yeah. yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do that. Yeah. I said, no, no. And it's a subtle difference. You know, turn your head slightly to the right. Aha, that's it. You know, and uh, so you walk in and you have a premise. As I said, you have these issues, light, location, love face. And then you begin to fine tune it. And mm-hmm. it's in the... For me, the great pleasure in photography is in the doing, yeah. the act of making it. Anything else is nice. And then I like, you know, I like the results. Like now we're working on a computer with all this new stuff. It's exciting. And I can get instant gratification. And it's better than working, right? I haven't worked in 50, 60 years. I'm serious. <laughs> the minute I picked yeah. up the camera, uh, you know, yeah. I, I never made, I never lived off my private work. I think it's ridiculous to expect, and don't use the word art around me. I can't stand the word. With your students, you know, well, I do my art on weekend. Boo, please. Art, smart, get over it. What do you mean you do your art? I hate the word art. It has the barnacles of history, you know. Michelangelo. So so how do you refer to your personal work if if art is not good? How do you refer to your non-commercial work? My personal work. Okay. It's It's my stuff. It's what I do. Okay. That works. Is humor essential to the work? I mean, yeah, I'm a funny person. I mean, haha. Yeah, I, I always like something to be funny, and uh, and I don't care if anybody gets it. I tell terrible jokes sometimes, and I laugh, and nobody laughs. In fact, they cry. But I don't care. It's all an expression. To me, the key word is expression, not photography, not humor, not literature. How well do you express yourself? And if you buy into that. Then the second question is, well, what do you have to express? What pisses you off? No, no, what did Ansel Adams have to express? You know, you know. don't show me what I already know. Don't show me mm-hmm. trucks and what I can see. Show me what I can see. How do you photograph grief? And don't show a woman crying, you know. That's why photography failed for me, because I had to write, and I had to tell stories with sequences. Mm. I, I said earlier, you're defined by the medium or you're redefined by the medium. I redefine the medium. I think that's a great place to end. Yeah. Yeah. Do I get, do yeah. I get paid by the word? Yes. Um, yeah. You can okay. something. Yeah. If I may, can I, I, can I throw another, one more question at you? Sure. It's actually, it came up a few times. I want to go back to it. Um, you, you are a 
an artist on many, many levels, and you also do write. Uh, I, yeah. I write, I take pictures, and I get equal pleasure from both. I find there's a lot of parallels. I, I do, too. do you? What, yeah, what is the relationship between writing and photography to you? Uh, what comes well, first, they're, or they're, are they equal partners? No, no, they vary. It's like a long-time romance. You start out with infatuation, then you break up, and then you come back together. That's the vibe. <laughs> but, no, it's, uh, it's about... So it's about the need to, for example, I'm going to work on something about cats. And uh, I have this funny thing I wrote about cats. And, but I'm going to have to write, I want to write something with it. I have no idea what I'm going to write. You know, that's the creative process. If you already know what you're going to do, then you're not being creative. That's why people take the same picture over and Cindy Sherman over and over and over. Only the hat has been changed to protect the innocent. You know, that's not, <laughs> that's, that's not creativity. That's a bad habit. But the thing is, to creativity, you don't know what you're doing. And the creative part is figuring it out. You're obviously not a, a an unknown, but, uh, but regardless, if people would like to see what you're up to, uh, old or new, uh, where can they go to online? Instagram, Instagram, and Facebook, right, Josiah? The Dwayne Michaels on Instagram. The what? The Dwayne at Dwayne Michaels on Instagram, right? Uh, Dwayne Michaels on the Dwayne Michaels. Dot Dwayne the the Dwayne Michaels. The. Oh, the Dwayne Michaels because they're imitations. Yeah, the, the, T-H-E, except they're ah, substitutes. okay. Okay. All right, so it's the Dwayne Michaels. Okay, the. on Instagram. Okay. Okay. The. Is it the or the? Hmm? Okay. It depends That's on how, cla in, in how classy you are. The Mr. Michaels would not speak to you in the drawing room. Okay. <laughs> okay, I got to go take a leak. I got to go take a leak. I got it. Bye. Okay. Mr. Michaels, thank you so, so much for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. It was a pleasure being had. Okay. Before we sign off, we would like to announce the winners of the B&H Photography Podcast Like a Photo Challenge. We received literally hundreds of submissions from all over the world. And there were so many interesting photographs and depictions of life during the shutdown that was really hard to choose. But our judges, including yours truly, agreed on two photographs that matched all of the criteria and reflected the challenges and joys of the current pandemic-related shutdown. Our second prize goes to A.J. Reyna from Chennai, Tamil Nadu, India, for his photograph of three men at work in their laptops in a small storage space. It was an interesting picture. Congrats, A.J. And the first prize, which is a Leica Q2 full-frame camera, goes to Carlos Vives of Barcelona, Spain, for his double exposure photo of two women cheering for healthcare workers from the window of their apartment. Congrats, Carlos. You're going to love your new Q2, and we look forward to seeing what kind of pictures you're going to be taking with it. It's wonderful to see listeners from all over the world taking part and winning this contest. And we're going to be posting both of the winning photographs on the B&H Photo Podcast landing page. So that wraps up another episode. My name is Alan Weitz. And on behalf of John and Jason, thank you so much for tuning in today. 